Principal Munoz, Madam President Eden Brown, wait, because I don't know where you are, if you don't, there you are, this. Uh, class officers, especially you, Jessica Ragsack, who wrote me the best invitation I have ever received in the 21 occasions I have spoken for a last year Academy graduation event. You, you rack sex should be proud of that. It was, a, it was a very professional exchange. Not saying that the last 21 invitations, 20 invitations were not good, but this one was exceptional. Some of them were not great. I was texted a couple of times asking if I would do it, which is probably not the best way to ask a speaker, but nonetheless, the best. Class sponsors, Mrs. Christensen and Mr. Marufo. Faculty and staff, you brave souls and way less often mentioned heroes of the last year. Yes. <laughs> Pastor of this church, Pastor Chris Oberg, and your staff, Pastor Chris, and sweet members of this church, thank you for opening this place of worship so we could spend sometime celebrating our kids, your kids, $15,000 a month worth of your kids, consecrating them to God today. So thank you for doing that. Students of last year Academy who are here, um, parents, oh, parents, we are, we, I'll say a little bit more about you in a moment. Family, friends, visitors, present, and those watching through the internet machines. And especially you, class of 2021. What an honor to celebrate with you and to share some thoughts on your high school baccalaureate. 27 years ago, I know it's baccalaureate, whatever, that's how it's pronounced. 27 years, it's baccalaureate. Baccalaureate, what is it? Someone say it, baccalaureate? Baccalaureate latte? Good, yes, I love it. 27 years ago, I was asked to speak for a graduation service. It was an honor, both in a panic I asked one of my mentors at the time for advice, and he said uh, these words to me, Sam, keep it short and sweet. Since then, it has been my habit at every consecration, baccalaureate, or commencement to pass out something sweet for the graduating class to eat while I speak. Serving as the sweet part of my sermon, usually, also engaging your neurosensory memory part of your brain so you remember everything I say. And it works because I've run into many students later in their years going, ah, M&Ms, M&Ms. They can't remember what I said, but they know I gave them M&Ms <laughs> for their graduation. Because of COVID today, I'm not able to give you candy to enjoy. However, I'm giving you each an individually wrapped and sealed for safety tin of Altoids, the curiously strong mint, invented in England 240 years ago, made of sugar and sorbitol. I don't know what that is, probably not good for you. These are the mini ones, not the big ones, the minis. They're also small, but so very powerful. Sometimes I think, uh, you're, not, you're not that powerful because you're so small, and so I'll put two in my mouth, but that's a mistake because then your nose begins to burn, so do your eyes, so eat only one at a time. There's bags under your seats on this corner right here, if you could pick, pick the bags up, this is part of it, pick the bags up and then maybe take one and hand it down. Is that allowed in COVID times? You just take one, individually wrapped one? All right, too late now, we've already done it, so, so, so we're doing it. 
And that is the sweet part of my sermon. And now, the short part. Someone say amen, short part. Your motto was interesting to me. It is what it is, but it will be what you make of it. Great, I don't know if I can preach a sermon on that. Your aim was weird, peace, love, and tofu. So I said, I can't touch that. I don't know what that's about. Let them enjoy that little stunt, peace, love, and tofu. But you chose a text from the book of Hebrews as your class text, a text that requires you take some things very seriously in life. I'm going to read you this text and I'm going to talk about it for a moment. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In Eugene Peterson's excellent message paraphrase, he, he paraphrases this text this way. He goes on to verse 2. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. I love that you chose this text because it is a succinct definition of faith. So if you ever, if you ever spend time wondering what is faith actually, how do I define faith? You don't have to go to Google, go to scripture. This is the definition of faith. Christians have been turning to this text for 2,000 years. They've gone there when their faith has been shaken, when their faith feels weak to understand what is faith really. When they're going through tough times, they've gone to this text because it explains not only what faith is, but what those who have faith look and sound like and behave like. I love that you chose this text because you have lived over the course of 14 months when your young faith and your hope have been tested. Over the course of your life, you will be tested even more than you were this last year. I expect that to happen. And I love you chose this text because this text explains how you're going to make it through those years. I love that you chose this text because I want you to have faith. It was the purpose of our investment in last year Academy. Someone say amen to that. In fact, it was the entire point of our investment in last year Academy. You could have learned all of the other academic material in any other place that would have been way cheaper than last year Academy. I know we've made light of this and we talk about it a lot, but it is the investment we have made. It was so that you would have this kind of faith, the confidence and the hope that is spoken about in the text that you chose. I love that you chose this text because it is about a grown-up faith, which is why this section of my sermon is a grown-up sermon. <laughs> and I hope you're listening. It is about a maturing faith, not a childish faith that is easily disappointed. I love that you chose this text because just beyond the text that you chose, and I know you did this, I know you chose this text because you know what's just beyond it. The author of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews goes on to cite a long list of examples of this great faithfulness. The kind of faith that we hope you will have. What kind of faith we hope you have right now. And the writer of Hebrews walks you through the gallery of all these heroes of our faith from the Hebrew Bible. 
Enoch, who walked by faith, Noah, who built an ark by faith, not really, so he, was, he couldn't see the future, but he knew with certainty the things that I hope for in the future are going to happen. Abraham left his home, not because he knew exactly what was going to happen in the future, but because he had certainty he was being called by faith to follow wherever God was leading him. Isaac, who is also mentioned here, among many things that, that define his faith, I love this one, he accepted a wife by faith who he had never met. Imagine that. I'd, I'd love to arrange some of your marriages if you'd let me. I think we could do a good job. <laughs> Jacob, Joseph, Moses. You think about Moses, the fact that he led a people to the promised land and he never got to enter the promised land. So he lived his entire life by faith, hoping for the promised land, confident in that promise. He never got there. That's the kind of faith that Hebrews is talking about. Rahab. The Gentile makes it into this list. Gideon, who by faith went to battle with 300 men against a massive army. Barak, who ran for president in 2008, is on this list. That's not true. He's not. Well, not that Barak. There's a Barak here. Some of you are going to walk away from church today for the, fir for the first time you've realized. Barak is in the Bible? The name is in the, it is in the Bible, yes. Barak was a prophet and a judge of Israel before he was president of the United States of America. Samson, it's hard to know. <laughs> oh, Samson lived by faith. David lived by faith. And by the way, none of these people, if you're keeping track of the names we're naming here, were perfect. The fact that they had strong faith didn't make them perfect. It gave them the kind of resilience that you need to have when your plans and when your circumstances change and it'll become dangerous. That's what their faith did for them. So three final lessons from your chosen text. All of these people we just talked about knew that God and the work of God is beyond what we can see. All of them knew that the work of God is what we can see, but also what we cannot see. It's beyond our comprehension. And they lived with certainty, trusting that whatever God was at work doing was also good. Back in February, I went for my second shot of Moderna. I went with Moderna because it sounded modern. I don't know if that made it more modern than the others, but it sounded more scientifically serious and, and advanced. The person who was giving me the shot, I think it may have been their first day. <laughs> I don't like needles, so I'm a little anxious when I go get my shot. I chose to do my shot early in the morning, so I didn't have to spend all day thinking about it. I'm getting a shot today, right? Anyone, anyone like me? Yeah, I was the first one to the clinic where they were administering the shot. The person who's going to administer my shot is shaking. She's clearly more anxious than I am. Now we're both in a full-on panic. I'm like, <laughs> so, so I roll up my sleeve. She gets the needle ready. I look away. This is my practice. And, you know, you don't really feel it, kind of. But I heard these words come out of her mouth as soon as she was done. She said, oops. <laughs> well, some of it got in there. I know. <laughs> hmm. what, what, what could this mean? So I went, from, I went from living my life in this 
hopeful expectation that after this shot, two weeks after this shot, my life would become normal again, that I could actually go to places like I couldn't, I could see my parents, I could see our family, I could actually eventually in the future live with the certainty that this was eventually going to end. No more masks, Glenn, someday because of this shot. And in that moment when she gave me that little oops, I hope something I lived for the next 12 hours thinking, I am not vaccinated. I called my wife, I, I, call, I called your mother, Mike, I said, I don't, th I don't think I got the vaccine. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to have to schedule this again because there was an oops and I hope, I, I hope someone got in there. So, but 12 hours later, oh, it got in there, all right. <laughs> if, if you lived through what I lived through after that, the 12 hours after you get the shot, man, it was, it was horrific. <laughs> also, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wimp. So at the onset of any kind of temperature or any kind of discomfort, I crawl into the fetal, fetal position and I begin to cry for help. Help! But it, it was a miserable 24 hours, which is how I knew there was vaccine in me, yes. All of us have lived with this tension about the vaccine. This is a grown-up thought, and I want you to just spend a couple of moments with me on this. We have no clue, except maybe one or two in this audience, no clue what the vaccine is actually doing. We, we weren't in the lab when they were making it. We simply have this faith that when that vaccine enters our body, or the hope of the future that we want will be realized, don't we? That's how we live. We live with the knowledge that there's a needle, there's liquid in it, it's going to go in my body. That's the part that we know. And some of you, again, may know a whole lot more about the proteins and the RNA and DNA and etc. etc. Et I have no clue what I'm talking about. I just threw out a bunch of acronyms that I've heard mentioned in news reports. But what I know, I bet you, is about what most of you know, and that is this needle goes in my body, and then I have this faith and this hope that this will bring about the future that I want. That, that's the kind of faith that's required to live in this world. That's the kind of faith that he was just talking about. But this kind of faith that these people had also leads to another thing. That's, and and it's the second point I want to leave with you today. All of them knew that what we hope for changes the way we live today. That what we hope for in the future, that the faith that brings about this hope for the future, changes the way we live today. It must. It has to change the way we live today. Uh, what do we hope for? We hope for the things that we don't have, the things we cannot see. And we also hope for things that are more profound. That God will prevail change everything one day, that God will make the world new someday, that God will change every heart and every person. And one author puts it this way that I love. The things we hope for in God's future for us summon us, they summon you, graduate of 2021, to bear concrete witness to that future now. So because you have faith in that future, you have faith in the hope of that future, you live this way now. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have faith in a future that God is going to bring about where there is no racial inequality, then you work and live that way here now, and you work towards that future now. If there is gender equality in the future of God for humanity, then we work and we live that way now. If there is an end to poverty in the future, then we live and work that way now. If there's an end to violence in the future, then we live and work that way now. 
If there's an end to consumerism in the future, we live and work that way now. If there is regard for the created order in the future, then we live and we work towards that now. That's how we give concrete witness to the fact that we have a faith that hopes for the coming of God and everything that God brings in the future. They knew that and they lived that way. Every single one of these people that we talked about, the heroes of our faith. And, and I want to ask you before I move on to point three, do you want to be one of those heroes that scripture talks about that lives that way now? I hope you will. And I hope you'll commit to that. Here's the last point I want to make. They knew that you don't need a lot. They knew you don't need a lot, a lot of faith. You just need some faith, a little faith. Jesus said, like a mustard seed. If you had like a mustard seed's worth, that'll make all the change in the world. You don't need a lot. When our kids were young, Shelly, you remember we used to sing this song, love, 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 just a little bit of love. Have you heard that one? Oh, we, the kids live for the clap. You know where the clap goes? No, I can't tell because of your masks. I don't even know if you're amused by this, so let me just move on. Oh, love, 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 just a little bit of love. You don't need a lot. Oh, oh it's my family, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> thought about this as I was writing this this week. I thought, yeah, faith, faith, faith. You don't need a lot. Just give it what you got. Tomorrow, this is, this is the part. Pastor Chris and I talked a little earlier today. She said, are you going to make it through this without crying? No, I'm going to weep like a baby. And here's the part. Tomorrow, my family's 16-year run with Last Year Academy comes to an end. We began in 2005 with our daughter, Allie. And all this ends tomorrow with our son, Micah. And many of you parents, raise your hand if tomorrow is your last day. Your last day. Look at you. It's bittersweet, isn't it? So I have been savoring everything for the last week. The last of everything. The last Friday email newsletter yesterday with all the graphics. He's got to scroll through and see what's new this week. Is there anything new this week? The last Sunday morning Ren Web email that stresses you out. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't turn that assignment in? What are you talking about? Why didn't you turn that assignment in? Why is this great? Eh. The last alarm going off for an hour from 6.30 until 7.30 a.m. When are you supposed to be at school? I don't want to go to school today. You're going to school today. That's not you. That's not you. I'm doing someone else's voice and someone else's. The last time seeing those khaki pants come on and that last year a shirt and maybe that sweatshirt that pushes the limits and the edges of the uniform code. <laughs> Yesterday watching my child and I'm sure yours drive to school for the last time. What a sweet run. And we, our family, is so grateful to this academy for teaching our children to love Jesus, giving them an opportunity to flourish in their faith and to have the kind of faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about. 
When a bunch of you were in the seventh grade here at Lassier Academy, raise your hand if you were in the seventh grade in Lassier Academy. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. This is going to work better than I thought. <clears throat> you got to go on that glorious marine biology education trip to Catalina Island. I was honored to have been selected out of 80 parents to be one of your chaperones. I say honored, but that feeling of honor quickly faded away on the boat ride to Catalina Island <laughs> when a bunch of you got sick. I remember sitting downstairs in the boat next to a window and seeing vomit first splash on the window and then slowly run down the window. And that repeated itself all the way to Catalina Island. Our first camp, Toyon Bay, remember Toyon Bay, was great. A beautiful setting, nice facilities, except for that random buffalo that just meandered around the camp. I thought it was going to eventually gore one of you to death. Uh, it was a nice place. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I kept thinking, I could get used to this. But then midweek, Mr. McFarlane had us move to a different camp. Not so great. The last, uh, the last week, the last two days we spent in a camp called Fox Landing, which is a, you see this picture here, Fox Landing. You're probably thinking, ah, oh, it looks nice, Sam. What are you complaining about? No, you don't see the rustic parts. There was no good cell phone service. like two places on the camp where you could access cell phone service. Uh, I knew as we were arriving, as we pulled up to that dock you can see right now, I knew some of us are not going to make it out of here alive. <laughs> If this is the only way to access help through this dock, nah, some of us are not going home. But we had a great time, didn't we? Oh, it, was, it, was, it was fantastic. Busy exploring the coast by foot, on kayaks, in the water. On the final night, the grand finale of our time there, uh, the staff said, hey, tonight we get, to, uh, we get to dissect a squid. Remember this? Or was it an octopus? It was a squid, wasn't it? It was a squid. Yeah, some of you are shaking your head with like, yeah, PTSD. In the same dining room where we had been enjoying our food, in the same tables, with no cleaning, cleansing of any kind, they placed directly on the table on a piece of paper these dead animals, the slimiest, smelliest looking squid to dissect. Uh, the kids were given what I thought were really, really clear instructions, very good instructions, very specific on how to dissect the animals. And all that was going pretty well at first. I want to show you a couple pictures from that, from that night. Show them a couple pictures, would you, Adam? There's the squid and that other thing. I don't even know what it is, a baby, a baby stingray. Uh, it was going great. Show them the next picture. Yeah, look at that slimy, disgusting thing. Show them the next picture. Yeah, look at, look at the joy with which the children were exploring their <laughs> natural habitat and learning about God's creation. Uh, and then show them the next picture, would you? Look at the joy, the happiness. I love, I love this. This is priceless. This is, this is awesome. It probably shows you more accurately what was going on half and half in the room. Show, show them the next picture and then pause it. Oh, no, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the excitement, out of this night, I'm sure there's going to be at least 10 marine biology majors <laughs> next year. Show them the next picture, and then let's, let's pause here for a moment. And here's the picture that I took. And after I took the picture, I realized, hang on, hang on, hang on. 
Why is there black stuff on one of the twins' faces? I don't know which twin this is. Identify yourself. All right, don't identify yourself. Uh, later, I actually I found out within minutes that uh, it was actually this, the ink from the yeah exactly on their faces, and uh, from this section of the room, the whole thing spread, and uh, and it didn't just it didn't just become the ink on the faces. Keep going, Adam. Show them the next picture. It became this. Now, I'm not saying that Nito is the one that began the whole, let's put the animal, raw animal in our mouth. I'm not blaming you for that, Nito, but that's what the picture's showing us, so. <laughs> Show them the next picture. Right. <laughs> right, so whereas Nito just basically placed it on his tongue, as you can see, Renzo thought, no, nah, I'm, I'm gonna commit fully. Yeah, I'm gonna commit fully to this. Show, show them the next, the next picture, would you? <laughs> All right, pause here for a moment. Um, at, at the risk of uh, breaking HIPAA, FERPA, and any other rules that exist out there to protect the privacy of the next thing I'm gonna tell you, I'm doing it anyway. I went over to Micah's table and immediately noticed that Ian Johnson's eyes were red and he was having a hard time breathing. As you can see right there, he probably, Ian, you probably are already going, eh. um, uh, and There was more of the kids who suddenly went into what now I understand a severe allergic reaction bordering on full on anaphylactic shock. I Googled that later to see what it actually meant. Um, we took all of them, when I say we, the responsible teachers and chaperones of this trip, we took them all to the nurse. I was the most worried about Ian because Ian had a hard time breathing. And I could hear him breathing on the way to the nurse. <laughs> the nurse says to me, uh, his medical release form says he's allergic to Benadryl. I thought, how, how can you be allergic to the allergy medicine? <laughs> but in fact, he was allergic to the, to the allergy medicine, Benadryl. So she says to me, can you contact the parents and ask what, the, what we should give them? I said, there is no cell phone service here. She said, run to wherever the little spots are, there is cell phone service, and, and call the parents and ask what we can give them. She was calm, but I knew they train nurses to be calm when someone's dying. <laughs> so at this, at this spot that I found with a cell phone work, I actually sent a message to David Johnson, father of Ian Johnson. Dave Johnson, you're going to be amazed by this. I actually found our exchange online. It's still there, which, which means everything you say online stays there. This is five years later. David, um, Ian is having a minor. I put a parenthesis around minor again, repeat it. Minor allergic reaction to the squid we just dissected. If he needs something for allergies, that is an antihistamine, what do you give him? Just in case. I actually said, just in case. Where are you, David? There you are, yeah. Look it up. Facebook Messenger is all there, just in case. Um, so, reply from David Johnson. He's allergic to Benadryl. Give him Claritin or Zyrtec. 
Have you washed any exposed skin and gotten him to fresh air? Wow, come on, David. Like, come, of course, we, we had not done that yet, but we did immediately after that. <laughs> Me. Okay, I'll, I'll tell the nurse right now with the Claritin and the Zyrtec. David, keep us posted. Minor, and then parentheses, you did this really minor panic here. How is a panic minor? Um, we know our kids are in good hands, he says. And I thought, the good hands your kids are on uh, or in handed him dead animals from the sea and let them go rampant with them. So, and then I thought, I am the good hands. I ran because the nurse didn't have any handy. I ran to get the Zyrtec that I travel with. And I remember giving Ian that little pill. A pill, by the way, that's about the size of an Altoid. Show them the next picture, would you, Adam? I remember that moment vividly, Ian, David, everyone involved. I knew that that little pill was going to do its work. I had faith. I knew nothing about Claritin. It's chemical makeup. Matter of fact, I don't even take Claritin, so I've never experienced personally its effects. But I handed that little pill to that kid knowing I've got to take you home to your parents. I was confident in my hope and assured of what I could not see. As your text says, I was confident in my hope in that little pill and assured of what I could not see, that it would do its work. So you got, you've got these little Altoids I gave you. Don't eat them now. Don't eat them now. Do it later, but I hope that these altoids last you a long time, one at a time. And when you've run out of these, I hope that in the future, when you taste a little altoid, you'll remember, if you forget everything else I said today, it doesn't take a lot of faith, just a little faith. And that, that faith, that little bit of faith that Jesus taught us about, like a mustard seed size, just not much bigger than this altoid or a Zyrtec. If you deploy it confidently, with hope, assured of what it will bring about, your life and the people around you and your communities and this world will change. It will change. God bless you, dear class of 2021. God bless you all.